Hey Todd. Hey Mike, how you doing? I'm hanging in there. I tell you what, it's it's been uh, quite an adventure. Uh, yesterday I, I uh, opened up the old history books and you know one of the things that just uh, really interests me a lot is the Gilded Age in American history. It's a very pivotal time for us. Uh, you know, we see the movement into industrialization. Uh, we're moving away from farming as a primary occupation, you know, for this country. So it is a huge, huge thing. So many things going on in inventions. What could we do without inventions? And, and just to kind of give a little recap for those of you who may not be too familiar with the Gilded Age, this is a time period that's after the American Civil War, so after 1865, and we're going to kind of uh, stop it uh, before the War of, of uh, 1898 or the Spanish-American War. So it's, it's about 25 or 30 years towards the end of the 19th century. And uh, yeah, you know, Todd, uh, there were a lot of inventions. As a matter of fact, um, in, in some of my history classes, when we talk about inventions, I always ask the students, why were there times in American history, or the world history for that matter, where we see a lot of inventions? And of course, the answer is, number one, there was no war going on. And, you know, it was a, a period of, of kind of rebuilding the country, and people um, had money to invest, and uh, the, the growth of the United States was, was just uh, going crazy towards the West Coast. Manifest Destiny was taking place. And, of course, the United States is just really uh, wealthy with natural resources. So that kind of lays the foundation for this growth and, and the need for uh, some new inventions. And, and of course, um, a couple of the inventions that we want to talk about today, number one would be uh, steel. And um, the use of steel in, in building the, the America's first uh, transcontinental railroads and, and then uh, the high-rise buildings and uh, Todd, as you said a second ago, uh, it was a time where a lot of the farmers or their kids were tired of working in the fields and they heard about this new city life and, and all the excitement that was going on and all the factories and industry were providing jobs and it was just a big lure for a lot of the American farmers. And so we're going to see a lot of the makeup of America really change. Yes, and as you said, that steel, that had a lot to do with it. So steel changes during this time, and we can thank a guy named Bessemer for that. Because within his process, he's perfected a way to get the impurities out of steel, making it stronger. Uh, now with stronger steel, we can do more things with it. We can build, as you said, taller buildings. We can build better railroads. Uh, the manufacturing process of it just explodes. Uh, now... With that, what else do we get? You know, we get factories that need steel. We need something else to make these factories run. What is that going to take? Well, it's going to have to be energy. And, um, of course, at the time, uh, there was the use of coal, burning coal. And, of course, we still get a lot of our energy from that today. Um, and, and, of course, uh, John D. Rockefeller is going to... Uh, become the big giant with standard oil and refining um, the oil into things like kerosene, 
which will light up America's homes and businesses. And and uh, but there's going to be another big thing right here in the Gilded Age around the years of about 1880-1882, where Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla will be um, the the great uh, inventors and and promoters of electricity. And you know, Todd, when I think about this, I think about you know just the, the simple fact that we can go over and flip on the the light switch uh, or or put in a charger to charge our phones or you know we just do so much with electricity today and and uh, I, you know I, I know that you and I we both live out in the country and in a rural area and when we have a, a big ice storm that hits or some other type of natural disaster and we have to go with that electricity for a while. It sure makes you appreciate it when it comes back. So. Well, it sure does. It, you know, the things we have today, we definitely take for granted. When we look back at what didn't exist in this time and what was being created, you know, with Edison, we get you know what we know as the light bulb. Now, he may not have been the original inventor of it, but he made it more practical. He was able to find a cheaper way. I think specifically with the filament. Uh, to produce this in a way that it was affordable and it could be, you know, provided to the masses. Uh, with Tesla, we're looking at a guy who I think had over 300 patents in his lifetime. A phenomenal mind. Uh, you know, for him, it's the alternating current, and that's the electricity that we typically know today. Uh, Edison, I think, initially was working more with direct current, but the alternating current is when we flip that light switch or plug something into a wall. It's that alternating current that uh, we're using to power our lights today. So, without those two things, you know, we it doesn't matter, you know, how great the steel's going because those factories are still going to be coal-fired or near rivers, you know, pulling, you know, power from the rivers. Uh, but now we put, you know, the combination of these things together, and there's an explosion, an explosion during this time period that. Uh, will eventually transition this country from being primarily agricultural into something other than agriculture. And, you know, I think about Thomas Edison and Nikola Tesla, and, and you know, they're probably in their, in their laboratories, and they're, I wonder how many times they got shocked before they got this figured out. And, you know, you had mentioned that Thomas Edison had perfected the, the direct current, versus uh, Tesla, the uh, alternating current. And, you know, Tesla, he worked for Thomas Edison, and uh, he actually um, didn't seem to get the approval that he was working for or looking for with Edison. And so um, he, he turned in his letter of resignation, and Edison just kind of scoffed at him, you know, and said, you know, you, there's no way you're going to have any luck with with your alternating current. It's he said it's just too dangerous. And uh, so Tesla, from what I understand, he went out and he found a, a a sponsor with Westinghouse. And of course, Westinghouse is a a very prominent name in the world of energy and electricity and and uh, uh, so forth. And and uh, he they, they they asked Tesla to go on tour, and Tesla did. And he actually would stand in the middle of two alternating current sparks that were going on. And he would reach out with his finger and the current would touch his finger and travel through his body to his other finger 
where the other current was connecting. And so it kind of looked like one of these old um, deals out of, out of an old um, um, horror movie. Uh, where Frankenstein, you know, is being developed and he's got the, the electricity and the, the light socket things going out of his neck and all of that kind of stuff is what it reminded me of. But uh, Tesla, you know, he, he definitely uh, proved his point in itself to Edison. And and speaking of promoters or, or sponsors, Edison had people like J.P. Morgan and uh, the Vanderbilt family that were so impressed with Edison and um, from what I understand, J.P. Morgan really invested just tons and tons of money in trying to promote Edison. And as a matter of fact, um, J.P. Morgan's home was the first home that Edison uh, had provided electricity to. And so, um, but but the, the Vanderbilt family, they were very impressed with this. And I think they were probably the next home that got electricity. But... Um, and, and from there it just spread like like crazy. Everybody wanted electricity in their home, and um, the the one guy that was really sweating this was none other than John D. Rockefeller, because he saw the writing on the wall. He saw where his kerosene lamps and and were were not were going to be replaced by the electricity, and so he's thinking very quickly. I am fixing to lose millions and millions of dollars. And in fact, he did. Um, but his the one thing that he really tried hard to do was promote that electricity was very, very dangerous. And you know, I guess if we compare it to today's time, it probably was very dangerous. Um, a lot of the homes and buildings were were wood frame, and and there was quite a few fires and and a lot of um, accidents that did occur as a result of it. But just like any new invention, there had to be some new bugs that were worked out. And, uh, and of course, uh, you know, just the rest is history. Yes. So with, with these inventions, you see a turning point within the next, you know, 30, 40, 50 years where uh, you get the opportunity now for other inventions. And I think, you know, as Mike was talking about earlier, why, why during this period? And if, if we look at this period or we can go back to Roman times, uh, you know, periods of peace, you know, we're coming out of the Civil War, you know, coupled with the opportunity, you know, people aren't just fighting to survive. You know, when somebody's fighting to survive, you don't really have time to make huge inventions. Uh, but when you see a society that reaches a point where people can be employed or people are well enough off that they can pay people to do something like Edison and just focus on these kind of inventions, now we have the opportunity for new things to come to us. And there were a lot of things coming to us during this time, too. So we get the Transcontinental Railroad being completed during this time, I think 1869. And that opens us to a whole new method of transportation across our country. And it aids in the expansion of our you know, population west uh, and brings up other issues as well as it imposes into you know, Native American areas. Uh, but with this, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine today... You know, sending somebody off and, you know, they hop on a horse and go down a trail and you may never see them again. Uh, with the railroad, now there's an opportunity to travel that distance uh, safer than before, survive it. And uh, with inventions like the telegraph and the, now the telephone, and specifically during this period, you can stay in contact, you know. Uh, not know, you know, know if they died or not or know if they survived or, or actually hear from them again. 
So, you know, Alexander Graham Bell and the telephone makes a huge difference in communication. And with that communication comes the ability to express desires to want things, uh, to get things, to order things. And we get developments from people like Montgomery Ward in the mail order business. And uh, I think his first job or his first mail order catalog started around Chicago, which was a Midwestern rail hub. So that feeds into the railroad hub. And then with that, I think we get something from another company. There was. Started. There is old Sears and Roebuck. Um, as a kid, I remember both of these magazines that would come to our, our mailbox. And, you know, I always like to go to the very end where all the cool toys were. Uh, and I'd just sit there and think, man, if I could just have some of these really cool toys and stuff. Um, and, and if I got lucky, maybe I'd get a few of them at Christmas. But these magazines were just, well, they were, they were catalogs. They weren't magazines. And uh, they'd be several inches thick. And um, they would be a yearly type catalog. And, uh, but Richard Sears and Alva Roebuck uh, were watchmaker guys. And uh, they created this mail order business to mail off their watches. And then before long, it became very successful and they expanded into all kinds of things. Uh, my dad, when I was a kid, my dad told me that you could order just about anything out of a Sears and Roebuck catalog or Montgomery Ward. Uh, he talked about ordering a 22 rifle and a and a kid saddle uh, for his horse, and uh, you know boots and and shoes and and just about anything you'd want. And then, um, of course, there was always. The, the secondary use for these catalogs, after you got the first one, you could always hang up the, set, the, the old one up in the outhouse and, uh, and use it for, for multiple things out there. So um, it, it was a very useful thing. And, and you know, Todd, the, the funny thing to me is that um, uh, go, growing up, going to Sears uh, stores, uh, maybe in the mall or, or, or just in or standalone type stores, um, they're struggling right now. That they've had to close quite a few of them, and their biggest competitor is is a, a mail order type business. Just exactly what they got started with, and of course you know that is as Amazon. Yes, and that's just kind of the evolution of the business. Uh, I remember with Sears, you know, occasionally I would see you know somebody describe a house as being well, that's a Sears house, mm -hmm. and you could actually order a house off of Sears catalog and they'd ship you all the parts to build your own home. So it is very ironic, I guess, to say that, you know, Sears at, and Montgomery Ward that had both started as a mail order, you know, looking at something, pictures of something, and then ordering it and being sent to you uh, would eventually succumb to, you know, retail that is now something that you look at pictures of and you order it and then it's sent to you, you know. So there is, does seem to be some kind of irony in that. But there's other inventions going on here as well. So we've got the typewriter. I think we can thank Christopher Scholes for that. Uh, we've got George Eastman. He introduces uh, an inexpensive roll film. Todd, did you ever have a typing class in high school? I did. I did. And I had a wonderful teacher that uh, took me in a couple of weeks late. I started school a little late that year. And... I was behind the whole year and 
it was a struggle and I'm trying to imagine when the typewriter came out trying to live in a world without correction tape. Uh, I think I would have stayed away from it for quite a while until somebody came out with that. But uh, yeah, that's kind of how we learned to use a keyboard was the typewriter. Yeah. I, I had typing class as well and I was kind of a, uh, of a star in my typing class, believe it or not. I think I could get up to about 72 words a minute on a very good day. And I thought I was just uh, smoking those words out on the typewriter. But uh, anyway, I come to find out, I guess that's a little bit slow. But uh, I think that's pretty good. If I could do 72 words, you wouldn't be able to read them. So <laughs> the uh, other inventions, well, stronger steel in the cities. We get the skyscraper, the first one being in, I think, 1885. Uh, we get uh, one of my favorite inventions, Coca-Cola, comes out probably around 1886. Uh, we've got the streetcar, uh, 1888. The first electric streetcar, I should qualify that. But if you think of the first skyscraper, I, I know I wouldn't want to be climbing all those steps. No, there sir. has to be something else to help you get there. Yeah, and that would be the elevator. And can you imagine being uh, 1889, I think it is, the Otis elevator. I would not be the one to ride it for the very first time, that's for sure. Um, I, I have no idea what raised that thing up and down, but um, you know, I don't know if it's electricity or, or um, they had a, an old mule in the back that, that they had to whip to, to make her go or make him go to, to raise the elevator up and down. But um, it, it was definitely a huge invention, especially since the um, the steel was was being used every day to to just change the look of the cities. You know, we go to big cities today and we see the big skyscrapers and and you know they're just amazing, just just huge buildings. But you know, back in this time before before they started building the high-rise buildings, to have a five or six or seven-story building was quite a feat that was it was an amazing thing and it was of course wood frame uh, but uh, you know uh, Carnegie uh, when he started to, to kind of saturate the railroad industry market um, he was looking for a new place to sell his steel and that was with the high-rise buildings and of course he did hugely add to his fortune by doing that so uh, a great entrepreneur of the time for sure. Um, then we have um, other inventions such as the record player, uh, Edison with Edison, and there's some others there, Todd too. There is, and if you know, to me, kind of the irony, going back to irony here with Otis compared to all the others. If you look in an elevator today, you still see that name. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's somebody who is, you know survive the times and obviously we haven't found a better way to get up and down these tall buildings than the elevator but while all these others we may mention like uh, Montgomery Ward or Sears or Kodak uh, you know they've they've come and gone to some extent they've been overlapped by other technologies that would come in later uh, but yeah we've got Bell uh, high-rise buildings streetcars electricity Sears and Roebuck, typewriters, record players. Gosh, it's a lot of stuff going on in this short period, and it caused a lot of things to change for how this world worked. 
Yeah. Remember the old Kodak cameras where you had to, you know, you had a little little bulb that you could put on the top of, of the camera itself and a little flash. And then it wasn't long after that, and then they came up, Kodak came up with the disposable camera. And you'd have to take it in to a drugstore or, or some other place that developed the film. And, uh, you know, you have to put it in the, the big envelope, put your name and address and stuff on it, and then come back and get it a little bit later on. You'd and, have to even advance it. I remember having to advance the film, you know, with a little lever. So every time you took a picture, you had to advance it some, and then you could take another picture. Yeah, made a little clicking noise, and gosh, now we have these devices that we carry in our pocket, or ladies might carry in their purse, or whatever, and and you know you can just take amazing pictures and and as much as you want. So what, the, weird, the weird thing is, they call it a phone. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so speaking of of phones, um, you'd mentioned Alexander Graham Bell had come up with the telephone in 1876. And that actually surpassed AT&T. And, of course, I, do you have AT&T service? Not now. Well, for the cellular service, I do, but not the landline. But who does have landline? Uh, we don't have a landline anymore. That's another dying thing. So. Yeah. We have AT&T at our house, and uh, that actually was created as uh, the American Telephone and Telegraph Company. So... Um, you know, it's, um, I tell my students that, hey, did you know, you know, it's, uh, you got American Telephone and Telegraph. Do you know what a telegraph is? And if you've ever watched an old Western, um, they, they've got the, the person in the telegraph office and he's typing, uh, using Morse code to tap away and, and trying to get that message across to the other person on the other line and the person on the other line has to decipher the code and then get the message uh, in a telegram written down in a telegram to that customer and uh, it's just amazing how how fast uh, communication is today but it had to had to stop um, or with at some point before it improved and uh, and 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 uh, became more efficient and more effective and of course that's that's what our economy is built upon is is um, that that never-ending uh, demand for something better and and something faster and uh, we just have some brilliant people that have taken up where a lot of these inventors of the Gilded Age started and have have just surpassed um, some some just unbelievable new new products and new services out there. Yeah, I kind of feel like I've now failed in life, so I probably need to go home and try to invent something. <laughs> well, we got to think of a need. That's true. So that that's it. But we sure hope you've enjoyed uh, this podcast on inventions of the Gilded Age. And uh, we hope that, that you gained a little information that um, may spur you on to, to look into some of this stuff yourself. And, and you know, we, we just barely touch the surface on, on a lot of this stuff. And uh, it is just amazing the stories um, that are behind these inventions. Um, Nikola Tessa, um, you know, today we've got the the. the the cars that are are just all 100% electric and and uh, kind of goes back to to the beginning with 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 his invention uh, Edison of course um, just um, just on and on 
So uh, anyway, you got anything else, Todd? No. So hopefully this helps you kind of get a broader understanding. You know, we, we do this for the benefit of our students, our kiddos, and uh, hopefully it helps you as well, whether it's just out of curiosity or if you're studying this in a high school, college environment, or, uh, you know, it's just you're looking for something to kill the dead space. Thank you for listening to us. <laughs> but uh, I guess that's it for us. Okay. Thanks for listening, y'all.